Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. And we left off last week with Paul and Barnabas at a local synagogue. And they've been invited by the rabbis to give a word of exhortation to read from the scriptures, the Jewish Tanakh. And we ended off last time in chapter 13, verse 16, where the word of God told us how Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. But let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in verse 17. And I pray the Lord God will bless this message, that it will be heard all over the world, thanks to the shortwave radio and the internet. And may it be a great blessing to those that can hear it, receive it, and believe it. Verse 17, please. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high arm brought them out of it. Paul the Apostle, the greatest expositor of all time, is now going to do what Stephen did back in Acts chapter 7, but this time he's going to give a Bible study of Israel via a local synagogue. 18. About the time of 40 years, suffered he their manners in the wilderness. The Lord is long-suffering. He put up with me for many years before I got saved. And the chances are he put up with you for many years before you got saved. And people say to me, well, if the Lord is so righteous, if the Lord is so holy, why does he not destroy evil right here, right now? And of course, if he was to do so, he would have destroyed you and me many years ago. And of course, salvation would not have come to us. But here, the Lord put up with this group of Israelites for 40 years. And most that left Egypt were what we call the tares, the goats, unsaved people, ungrateful people. And the majority of those that left Egypt, which is a type of the world, died in the wilderness. Unsaved, of course. And only a few went into the promised land. Even Moses and Aaron and Miriam did not go into the promised land. And the promised land, of course, is a type of the millennial inheritance. It's conditional on what you do after you are saved. More on that maybe later. Look at verse 19, please. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan... He divided their land to them by a lot. The Lord God of the Bible is the landowner of the world. He's a landlord. He owns the title deeds to the earth and he can do whatever he chooses to do. If he wants to take one group of people and destroy them for their sins, he can do so. If he wishes to pardon another group of people because of their sins, he can do so. If he wishes to suspend judgment on a third group of people, he can do so. He is very long-suffering, but here... It says in 19, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, a group of wicked, pagan, superstitious idolaters, he divided their land to them by a lot. He took the land from the Canaanites and gave, gave it to the children of Israel. He can do so because, like I say, this earth, this solar system belongs to him. He controls the sun and the moon and everything that is in it and all that live and breathe. 20. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. The Lord has always been very careful to choose groups of people, groups of men, to rule the children of Israel and also the church. And he does that for many reasons. First of all, he did it because he didn't want one man calling all the shots. He didn't want one man to be puffed up with a lot of knowledge. And also, he didn't want one person to be easily contaminated. Hence why he has got here... Reference to judges, plural. Not one judge, but many judges over the space of 450 years until Samuel, the prophet from 1 Samuel, arrives on the scene. And Samuel was a good man, but he wasn't 
sinless, he wasn't flawless, he had two unsaved sons, and he would go up to the high places to worship. But he was still a great man of God, but he wasn't perfect. Go back to the Old Testament in more detail, look at Lot. Even Noah, after he came off the ark on an occasion, he got drunk and took off his clothes and he disgraced himself. The best of the best are weak, they are flawed, they are imperfect. But the good thing is that in spite of their weaknesses, the Lord God still chooses to use them. He still chooses to use those that are weak. So if you've fallen, if you stumbled, get up and keep on going with the Lord. 21, please. And afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. This man, Saul, the son of Kis, didn't want to be a king. In fact, the Lord told Samuel, anoint this man to be king over my people. And it broke Samuel's heart. And the Lord said to Samuel, it's not you they rejected, it's me, in reference to God the Father. And this goes back to a theme which we are finding time after time in the book of Acts, how the people of Israel, for the most part, rejected their kings, priests, and prophets. And of course, going into the New Testament, into the New Covenant, they're going to reject the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles and messengers. As Solomon would say, there's nothing new under the sun. But the people of Israel wanted a king to rule over them. They wanted somebody to go out and fight their battles for them. They wanted a figurehead, much like you find in the Catholic Church today. You want a pope? You want somebody to rule us, to lead us, to intercede for us? And the Lord said, fine, you want somebody to rule over you? That's going to be okay, but there'll be many problems down the line. And Saul, on many occasions, stumbled and fell. And he does picture the type of Antichrist, a figure of the Antichrist in the final days. But I think Saul was a very misunderstood man, a very complex man. But sadly, a very misunderstood man. 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. To him also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now you know that David, the king of Israel, was a good man. He loved the Lord. But he was a weak man. He was fleshly. So when it says, I found David, the son of Jesse, he's really referring to Jesus Christ. A man after mine own heart. It has to be Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was sinless. He was perfect. He came to do the will of the Father. Which shall fulfill all my will. First advent. Second advent. But nevertheless David was a good man. He tried his best. And when he got into that mess with Bathsheba. He would pray for forgiveness. Restitution. And he would say to the Lord. Don't take thy Holy Spirit from me restore the joy of my salvation to me and some of our conditional security brethren will quote that piece of scripture from the psalms i think it's psalm 51 from memory and say there you are you see you can lose your salvation but of course you can't lose your salvation psalm 51 is in reference to david as the king losing his priestly anointing and on top of that he says don't take the joy from me or please restore the joy to me i've fallen i've stumbled and the Lord, of course, restores David back into fellowship with him. That's mirrored in First John chapter 1. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So they get two parts of the Bible nicely harmonizing together. 23. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a saviour, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Of this man's seed, David of course, hath God 
according to his promise, raised unto Israel, a saviour, Jesus. Jesus, of course, means Jehovah saves, and all the kings were types of Christ. But I will add this, that all of the kings in the Old Testament are really types of Christ at the second advent, but more specifically during the millennial kingdom. Whereas the prophets back in the Old Testament are very much types of Christ at the first coming, the suffering saviour, the son of Joseph. But he goes into 23, when John, the Baptist, of course, had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. John's baptism was a public baptism. John would put you into water, total immersion, in preparation for the Messiah to come. But of course, that doesn't save you. Only the new birth is what saves sinners. Without the new birth, without the Holy Spirit, you cannot be saved. So John puts you into water, but the Holy Spirit, to be specific, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, puts you into the body of Christ. But you can't really separate the triunity of God. But more on that thought as we move through this piece of scripture. 25. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet are not worthy to loose. He wouldn't even approach the Lord. He would humble himself. And the Lord says, Baptize me. It's right for us to fulfill our righteousness. And don't forget, John and Jesus were second cousins. So he sees his cousin coming towards him, and he says, you should baptize me. But no, he says, you need to baptize me, John. And that really does demonstrate the humility of the Lord. And I do believe that we should be baptized after we are saved, as a public testimony of our faith and identity with the Lord Jesus Christ. But baptism by water, in and of itself, does not save us. We are only saved by our faith in the Messiah, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Trust in his death, burial, and resurrection. So, that scripture from 1 Corinthians. For by one spirit, the Holy Ghost, are we all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, so on and so forth. And also from Galatians chapter 3. Once that has occurred, we are no longer Jew or Gentile, male or female. We are simply brethren. We are simply Christians. But one last time from 25. But behold, there cometh one after me, Jesus Christ, of course, whose shoes of his feet are not worthy to loose. That's true humility. And I think one of the reasons why so few people are saved today is because they are puffed up. They are arrogant. They think they know it all. And here this great man, John the Baptist, a second cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ, said, no, I haven't even got the right to unloose his shoes. I haven't got the right to tie his shoelaces up. And yet, what would the Lord say about John? No greater son has yet been born to a woman. He holds John up as this great man. And he was. 26, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Two groups of people there. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham. Jews, of course. And whosoever among you feareth God. Gentiles, that were present, that perhaps would attend the synagogue like people today do. Unsaved people attend churches all over the world for fellowship, for company, for tea and biscuits after the service. But he's probably referring to those that have converted to Judaism. We call them proselytes. And I made that point last week that what we don't want to do is allow these verses to teach that the early church met on Saturdays, to worship the Lord in synagogues. I don't believe that. 
It's true the Jews that got saved had the synagogues as places of worship. I grant you that. But here, I think what is really occurring is you've got two groups of people. Jews on the one hand, not yet born again, not yet saved. And amongst them, Gentile proselytes to Judaism. But one more time, I won't rule out the possibility. I won't negate the possibility that there are some Gentiles that are there just for something to do. I don't want to sound too dismissive, but I think that is the reality of what is occurring here. But no one yet is born again. That's why you're getting this Bible study from Paul the Apostle. He's leading up to presenting the gospel to his own people. And it says in 26, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Salvation starts with the people of Israel, and from there it goes to the Gentiles. 27, for they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Ignorance of the law is ignorance of Christ. My people perish through lack of knowledge. Hosea chapter 4. But it says here, For they that dwell at Jerusalem, the eternal city, and their rulers, priests and people, because they knew him not, could be in reference to God the Father. That is alluded to in John 5.24. But more likely be in reference to God the Son. Nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. You can read the Bible every day. You can read the scriptures regularly. And yet, if you don't know the Lord, the scripture won't come alive to you. And that's why until you're born again, this book is a mystery to you. In fact, I would say until you're born again, this book isn't even to you. Because you can't understand it until you're born again. But he goes on to say, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. This is devastating. Let's break this down a bit more, please. 27. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, deity, nor yet the voices of the prophets, Old Testament, which are read every Sabbath day, there's no excuse, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And this is the tragedy that most people who think they are saved are not saved. And that's what the Lord said in Matthew 7. Many, not some, but many will say to me that day, great white throne judgment, Lord, Lord, these are religious people. Have we not done this? Have we not done that in thy name? And he said, I never knew you. Depart from your workers of iniquity. This is the devastating truth that most people who think they are saved are not saved and really should make their calling and election sure. You were told to examine yourself, and I can't stress that enough. If you are trusting in anyone or anything apart from Jesus Christ, you're not saved. If you're trusting in your works or your church membership or your baptism or your confirmation, good deeds, this or that, you're not saved. Just going to church every Sunday is a work. And Catholics and Protestants feel they have to do something to stay in fellowship with the Lord. And sometimes those people think that such acts save them. It's dangerous. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved by faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So please, make sure you know who Jesus Christ is. Make sure you understand salvation and what justification is all about. And if you have received him, if you've trusted in him, if you've believed on him, stay as you are. Don't allow anybody to come along and try and take that peace from you. But this is really sad because this group of people, Israelites, the custodians of the Old Testament, the recipients of the oracles of God, the chosen race, didn't know him, 
God. And on top of that, they didn't even know the voices of their prophets. Devastating. 28. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. Give us Barabbas and put Jesus to death. Barabbas, a wicked reprobate, no doubt had blood on his hands. And the people of Israel said to Pilate, we have no leader but Caesar. They wanted to be identified with a superstitious paedophile in Rome. And if you don't believe me, go back and do research on the Caesars of Rome. An evil bunch of superstitious reprobates. And that shows you how far the people of Israel had fallen from their standing with their Lord and King. 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulchre. He was nailed to a cross, not a tree. And sometimes you'll get into conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses and others who think that he was literally nailed to a tree. The term tree is a term used in jury to describe a cursed death. Absalom died a cursed death. He got caught up in a tree and it says he was hanging between heaven and earth. A term for midair, if you will. Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord and hung himself on a tree. A cursed death. So don't think that he was literally nailed to a tree. No, he was nailed to a cross. But the tree here simply denotes he died a cursed death. But 27, 28 and 29 are really devastating. Because you've got people here on the wrong side of history. You've got people here who should have known better. And yet they are aiding the enemy. You've got Jews aligning themselves with unclean, unsaved, wicked Gentiles. And we would say in the New Covenant, that's a picture falling from grace. But of course, this group of people are not yet saved. Religious, yes, but not regenerated. Look at 30, please. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. I made the comments, and I made the case over the last six months now, since I started going through Acts of the Apostles, and before that I was recording through 1 Corinthians, and before that I was going through Mark's Gospel. It's been a very busy year when it comes to the reading of the Word of God, when it came to exegeting the Word of God. But I made the case that we, as Bible believers, have a great foundation. We, as Bible believers, have the best foundation. If you speak to a Muslim, and I do many times in the streets, they will say that they are hoping for salvation and they are believing that their Quran is the word of God. Now, I haven't got too much time to digest uh, the latter, but I'll say this very briefly that Paul made the case in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 how when the Lord came up out of the tomb, he was seen simultaneously to over 500 brethren. And he says how many of those people were still alive. Now Paul wrote 1 Corinthians probably between 50 to 65 AD. So his recipients could have got 1 Corinthians, read it, and had they wanted to, they could have gone to Jerusalem, found here in 31, or Galilee, found here in 31, and questioned surviving eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet those that would read the Quran would have to wait 200 years after the death of Muhammad. No living witnesses still around. Contamination, of course. Uh, telephone, as they call it in America, or Chinese whispers, as we call it here in the UK. You can't trust something which has been left 
for 200 years. But the New Testament was written between 39 to 70 AD, excluding, of course, Revelation, written during the time of Domitian, another wicked Roman Caesar. But here, Paul's saying, the apostles saw him, and if you don't believe me, go and speak to the apostles. What a great foundation we have. 32, and we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, that my son, this day have I begotten thee. He's now quoting the scripture, the Old Testament, Psalm 2. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That's what saves us, his beloved son. And yet, if you broadcast that, if you publicly announce that, you are condemned. In fact, there's a plaque in Jerusalem on a mosque on the Dome of the Rock, which says something along the lines of, Cursed is he that believes that God has a son. Well, that curse will be turned back on your heads. Much like the Catholic Church condemned those that hold to sola fide and sola scriptura. That curse from Rome, that anathema from Rome, is returned back on their own heads. And that curse, that plaque from Islam, found in Jerusalem, at the Dome of the Rock, is going to be turned back on their heads. Jesus Christ is our only hope. You can't save yourself. You might be trusting in somebody who's died, gone before you, but those people are dead and buried in the ground. Muhammad died, was buried, and is still in the ground. In fact, his followers thought he'd be resurrected and didn't even bury him properly for three days. They thought he'd be resurrected like Jesus Christ was, but of course it never happened. He's still in the ground. And followers of Charles Taze Russell Followers of Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, Charles Darwin, Albert Pike, Mary Baker Eddy, Ellen White. Such people are all in the ground dead. And those that are following such people are one day going to die and be buried. But Jesus Christ goes into the ground. And after three days, verse 30, God resurrects him from the dead. Not just the Father, but also the Son. John chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8. Thou art my Son... This day have I begotten thee. Look at verse 34, please. And as concerning that, he raised him up from the dead. Now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. No corruption for Lord Jesus Christ. He goes into the tomb prematurely. That shocks Pilate. That shocks the centurions. One specifically, of course, who would say, true this man was the son of God. True this man was a righteous man. And Pilate says, he's dead already. How can it be? He dies prematurely. He says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who's they? Is it the Jews? Possibly. Is it the Gentiles? Quite likely. So when he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. That's a picture of forgiveness, probably towards the house of Israel. And we know from Acts of Apostles onwards, thousands would be saved but also probably in reference to the Gentiles, the Romans. But 34, one last time. And as concerning that, he raised him up from the dead. Now no more to return to corruption. His body is in heaven now. He said in this wise, I'll give you the sure mercies of David. David, of course, 
Israel's first true king. He certainly had the Lord's blessing. Whereas, of course, Jesus Christ comes, first of all, as the son of Joseph to suffer and die for the sins of the world. And that's why a lot of Jews didn't quite understand him, didn't quite receive him. But, of course, Paul has just told you that such people didn't even believe on Almighty God in the first place, nor the voices of their prophets. But he had to come the first time as the son of Joseph to die and suffer for the sins of the people. And he'll come back at the second advent as the son of David to rule and reign for 1,000 years. So I'll stop there in verse 34 from Acts chapter 13. And we'll pick it up next time in Acts 13 verse 35.